Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Abstock. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is The Mandalorian Report. We are back. We are going to be discussing episode one of Disney Gallery, colon, The Mandalorian, a show about all the behind-the-scenes realities and actions in Mandalorian. I'm excited. Are you excited, Ken? I am excited, and I love behind-the-scenes stuff. It's so much a part of star wars it's just part of the rich history uh, hey look at that the movie and then these are the people that made the movie happen so it makes sense that they would do this and this has been one of the things i've actually really enjoyed about disney plus is all kind of the behind the scenes shows in a lot of different areas including the parks uh and all those kind of things so this is i was looking forward to this and it's an eight-part series and we just felt joseph hey let's continue the conversation going in fact a lot of listeners were reaching out like hey you guys gonna cover it weekly <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's fascinating. I didn't know what to expect from this, Joseph. And that's where I want to kind of start this conversation. We always ask the overall thoughts. So I want, I want your overall thoughts. We'll discuss that. And then the thoughts on the presentation and the way they're covering the behind the scenes of this show, at least after the first episode. Yeah, I think my main thought is just the word charming. I expected it to be uh, fun and interesting and maybe getting some juicy behind the scenes details for this first episode. I really thought it was less about how did they make that? Why did they make that decision? And much more just about here are the humans who like Star Wars, who made a Star Wars for you. It was just so much about their personalities and this general uh perspective of we that Favreau wanted to put a team together to have some diversity of perspective and personality and style and I just thought that big picture was just charming that's a great way to say it and and, and a lot of charming personalities into this you can see uh, Favreau picked a good team for season one and I think that's to be applauded and I you know I I, I we always say what's in there, only only what you take with you. And I went into this expecting, I I, I don't know what it's, I I don't know I, maybe I'm so the great documentaries about you know the rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi, or M Empire Dreams, Phantom Menace, the beginnings, all those kind of things. I was I was expecting a little bit more nut, nuts and bolts, like ooh that's how they did that shot, and we did get some of that. Uh, so when it ended after 32 minutes, so there's like oh, okay, there's more coming. I get it. I had that like, oh, I don't know if I like that as much. And then I was sitting there watching with Grace, and and this is why it's it's such a benefit to watch if you have a chance to watch Star Wars things with someone else. So it's a different perspective. She's an actor, she's a performer, and also just melts anytime she sees Baby Yoda, the child on the screen. She was like, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed that. And that wasn't like it. I suddenly was like, oh, me too. But I think, oh, okay, I can see that through your eyes. And then I watched it again. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That was a great way to approach this. Like you said, Joseph, here's the people making this and their approach to making things and this more than here's what they did on set. I like that. I like that a lot. It worked for me. Sounds like a Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I had a little bit of fear going in because sometimes behind the scenes things are really great and really interesting if they get into the personality of the creators and the uh, the the why of how they made their decisions. And other times it can be a little bit boilerplate, right? It can just be somebody like, you know, a script's got to be really good and then you got to direct good with good actors. Like, uh-huh, got it, thanks. Uh, and I felt like this went into those... Uh, specifics of seeing like deborah chow is clearly like funny and passionate but like i like that they highlighted that she was the one who's like i'm gonna do so many pages a day and i'm gonna uh, kill as many stormtroopers as possible and then you know seeing that you know taika waititi is being playful and all those different things that we're going to talk about that they highlighted in the director uh perspectives but it was good that you got that uh, a unique perspective of who they were instead of just they did a good job yeah, yeah, it, like a bad sports color commentary. The team with the most points is going to win today. Yeah, 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 we get it. And <laughs> and and if we talk, we're going to talk about the. You know, they they broke it up by director. We're going to talk about it. I found myself just really pulled in by the personalities, and now rooting for them more than I would uh, if I. And I'm talking about rooting for them in their careers going forward outside of Star Wars more than I would have. Not that I was rooting against anybody, you know what I mean? But just like more like, ah, oh, man. These are all great people, and I really felt that. So uh, let's dive into um, any any behind the scenes revelations or production insights. I, always, I think she always has that every episode because I'm, I'm sure some of these uh, will get a little more deeper into the process. Anything you saw, Joseph, that you're like, oh, that's how they did that? Great insight into the choices behind some of the stuff they did. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't as affected as much by that. I feel like that's for future episodes because this is called, you know, directors. This isn't just episode one. It's not walking through the process in a linear way. It's walking through it by topic. And I assume then we're going to get, you know, the uh, the child episode or the volume episode or the action episode or however they're going to break it down. Um, so I, I think for me, the revelations or production insights was just the literally like oh wow cool to see uh, actual costume version of quill walking around and cool to see oh wow that table is real but that part of the backdrop is the uh, volume or oh wow they were that's where they were actually out in the muddy streets all that kind of stuff yeah that's a good point actually yeah and i, I think this will this question will come to play down the line here but yeah, I knowing some of the stuff in the volume that's either either been revealed in interviews and other shots, like I have this love like relationship with what they're doing. I think the technology is just amazing. You're going to see more of this, and they're going to protect uh, uh, perfect it for this show and for other movies and shows that go on. I, I'm really interested in that. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, all right, I think I feel I know. But there was a moment. There was that one shot of uh, the scene where uh, Cara Dune and, and uh, Mandalorian are being wheeled back to the town in that cart, or, or maybe they're being wheeled to the ship. I can't remember which direction it was going. And and, yeah. and how it was actually on the volume. And I was like, oh, I think for that moment, I thought they actually were in a forest. Oh, my. Maybe I... Maybe this is better technology than I am I'm even realizing my dumb brain. So that was a fun little moment for me, too. Yeah, it's really fun to see when are when are the trees real? When are they, you know, absolutely just a picture, all that kind of stuff. Um, I wanted to go back to to one of your notes real quick because uh, it, it it did affect me. Um, the uh, the thoughts on the on the presentation and like what what this yeah. is that that we're seeing. Um, one, I just I love the roundtable vibe. It, it feels like the Council of Favreau. I like how much he is kind of in, in charge, and it, and it feels like he is you know hosting this weird you know. Uh, you know, yeah. party of five kind of thing or dinner for five or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, but I think I was also, I don't think anything insidious is going on. I don't think I have been, you know, planted with a subliminal message, but I am aware that I am watching a 
Disney documentary about a Disney show on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And it did affect my thinking that this isn't like, yeah, there was a director and all that, but how much that what they're showing us is what they want us to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean anything insidious by that. I, when, when we get, I wanted to say that because when we get into like um, some of the stuff with Filoni, it, to me, it like is it, it? It's maybe on people's minds of this. We want people to see this side of the creators, or you know, with the Taika stuff, was that being edited once they knew we're announcing that he's going to be doing the next movie? And I, I think I had a little bit of like, just take a step back and and remember that not uh, again, mm-hmm. nothing insidious, but just that choices might be made because this is not just a show. This could be a bit of a press release. I well, here's the thing. I will definitely gonna talk about it because there was a conversation we we're having about that Taika news on the main show this week, and I am a, such a fan of his, and I can't stress that enough. But I'm I'm not sure about him in Star Wars all the time, and I came out of this going, I feel so much better about him in Star Wars, <laughs> and I think they definitely curated the things they were saying. Again, to echo what you're saying, it's not like he was. Uh, uh, having a rage fit on the set and they cut that out. Not that we're not talking about that, but just yes, how you looked at them and their story. I think you're right. I mean, beyond just the Disney on Disney plus talking about Disney, but just going forward, what this means, I, I think you're onto something because it worked for me. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think that's what it was is, is, you know, I, I've always got that awareness of who, who is delivering you what message and is there a reason they are delivering you that message? I think it's a healthy way to think. I think that's the way that George Lucas uh, would, would like fans of the prequels to think. Yeah. Um, but I think it was because I got so many messages from this, of like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear as a Star Wars fan. Wait, <laughs> is that, uh, is that very much on purpose that they're telling me exactly what I needed and wanted to hear? Hey, look, man, Empire of Dreams is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. That is a Lucasfilm documentary about George Lucas making Lucasfilm movies. And, and it's, not <laughs> Gary, it's not the Gary Kurtz story. <laughs> so, yes, it is what it is. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, that's interesting. No, I think that's a great, great point. And one, one we're going to probably talk about even again here in the series. Uh, John Favreau, who, yeah, the the Dinner for Five, uh, Party of Five uh, show that he did, I think the style really worked. <laughs> and you can tell I you, think Party of Five is like a Nev Campbell uh, show, yeah, right? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, Macy Chabert is... Uh, my it, bad. Uh, John Favreau opened uh, by saying, you know, all, all, all the directors here at this table, they, they shared a love of Star Wars. And we have talked about this before, Joseph. I think the name that comes to me, Tony Gilroy. Uh, yep, I saved Rogue One. I came in and I did this. I didn't care anything about this stupid space thing. I told a story. And oh, now he's in charge of Rogue One. And we have talked about that, whether or not we need Star Wars creators to be fans of Star Wars or what to what degree they need to be fans of Star Wars. But I got the sense for me, from my money, it worked for this season of Mandalorian to have some fans who were influenced by Star Wars. Did that that hit for you? Did that resonate? And and what worked about these directors being fans? Yeah, that definitely hit and it definitely resonated. And and I go back and forth uh, about whether or not I feel like people need to be fans and what level of fans and always go to Wrath of Khan that part of that, what was so great about it was somebody coming in from the outside and going, what do people like about Star Trek? Okay, well, let me put all these other filters through it um, and, and just did an amazing Star Trek. And I think it's had a similar story with Tony Gilroy with Rogue One. But for for Mandalorian, for who these directors were, what they said, and how it ended up on screen, 
I think it was cool to see that all of the directors contributed to that sense of we are going to take the Kenner action figures out of the package and play with them. Um, in, in that sense of play in Star Wars and that sense that all of them had a, ooh, I, what if this happened in Star Wars? Even if something as small as, uh, as Deborah Chow saying, I wanted to kill lots of stormtroopers and uh, Rick Famuyiwe uh, saying, like, you know, I, I knew the scale because of the action figures, but then that sand crawler was real. There's yeah. that real sense of I've all these directors going, ooh, I've always wanted to see this in Star Wars. And it adds to that sense of play and wonder. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that that's a great moment—the sandcrawler moment, uh, the stormtrooper moment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm always going to side down as long as they're professional and deliver on the set. I don't need to, to know that the you know a Star Wars actor had all the Legends books growing up or anything like that. Like, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to work. And Tony Gilroy's, I think that's in his personality in some of those interviews. Ah, yeah, I don't really like that, but he clearly brought some care and concern and and was successful in what he did and that's probably why he's uh, in the position he is now on on um, Cassian Andor series so it worked it, like you said this uh, we always talk about the figures out of the box but just like this idea of like they're going to bring their own creativity uh, and ideas of, of what should be in there but they all know how this might land as a Star Wars fan and that seemed to be constant through this series when it was really working for people who love the series and and I'm uh, in that uh, you know group it's like oh yeah like that's that's cool that's playground cool and and but it's deep and it's deep because of what they brought to the moments as directors and storytellers and creators so it, i thought it was interesting that they started with that because that is the big debate and we'll see we'll see in season two you know who, who's yeah big <laughs> yeah but i think it worked to bring a sense of play and wonder and i think i feel like that was the intent you know and i think it worked yeah. Play and wonder. The Mandalorian story. Uh, Baz <laughs> Idawine, I, I don't know how to say his name name correctly. He's a great cinema, cinema, cinematographer, director of photography. Uh, I did have coffee this morning. Um, and he, uh, I really loved uh, the way uh, he and uh, the uh, Greg Frazier shot uh, the series. That was really great. Uh, and so he had a little clip that I thought was real simple, real something we can understand, something we've even talked about. But it really hit. And uh, the question is here. So he says uh, that each director had different perspectives on the same vision. And my mind, we, we know what that means. Uh, we know that means to have different minds behind these projects. And we've something we've all wanted here. Uh, but Joseph, my mind went to this idea of, all right, great. We got, we got these different perspectives. Do we have a favorite perspective that was shown in this series for many of these directors? <laughs> uh, you know, the nice thing is you don't have to choose and throw one away forever. You get to enjoy all their work. But that made me think about what perspective I enjoyed the most. Do you have a favorite perspective? A winner in this contest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, they were all winners and that's, that's what was great about this is, is I do feel like without them sort of explicitly turning to the camera and saying, except actually in a couple instances of, you know, this is my exact goal that we saw what they were interested in in Star Wars grew out of their personality. That said, the, the people that connected with me the most, uh, was Bryce Dallas Howard, 
uh, really you, not only just seeing her joy and excitement, but being so character and actor based, like she handled all the action and the locations and the complexity that they talked about. But um, as someone from my experience who has worked a lot in the theater and in, you know, live performance, and I've worked as an actor and a writer and a director directing my own things and directing stuff that mm-hmm. other people wrote. I am really interested in that conversation of, how do you get past the surface level stuff that actors are dealing with um, to have this really real conversation about what is this moment? What's happening in the scene? How can you make it real? How can you feel passionate about it in seeing uh, that that was her like main perspective and hearing her talk about like each scene is a little play uh, that really resonated with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would. And that was one of those moments, uh, a couple moments with uh, sitting on the couch with uh, my girlfriend Grace, who just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The actors, the, the, the what they bring to the decision making process is is really interesting, powerful. No, I, that makes a lot of sense, and um, I loved all the stuff with Bryce Dallas Howard. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, so for my winner in a contest we don't need to have uh, is uh, I, I really love uh, I, I thought about all right what was my favorite episode, and I can still go to episode eight Tykas and go I think that might be my favorite. Just complete episode, but I love episode seven. This Deborah Chow, and then I just keep going to Rick Family uh, in in episode two of the first moment I watched it, which I was uh, you know stranded in an airport, watched it on my phone, half asleep, and just didn't know what to think. And that turned into the best of things for me. I'm just like, wow, I I I'm going to have trouble predicting the actual beats of the story because this was this beautiful poem. And uh, to get it, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of his things he likes to do as a director with certain characters and 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 whatnot. Like I, I was like, okay, um, talk about that wonder because this was this was probably the most wondrous episode, and that's one of the things that really grabs me in Star Wars. So yeah, he wins. There's no contest. Yeah, he was uh he was uh definitely my my second behind uh Bryce yeah. Dallas Howard uh because I love that misfits perspective. And yeah. you were talking at the beginning of the episode of this making you want to not only watch more Star Wars but track down other work of uh, episode 2 and episode 6 are my favorite episodes and this was the thing where I was like, "All right, damn it. I need to go watch everything he's made." Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and, and uh uh, Andres Cabrera is a, 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 from the Median of Podcast, big fan of his work. And we were talking about it uh, back uh, in the waning days of, of, of Collider Jedi Council. And yeah, <laughs> I think I owe it to him now to, to seek it out because he, he really, uh, really, uh, I really like what he was saying. But I like, I like what all of them were saying there. All right, there's this, this little moment here. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, Filoni here in a second. And they spent a lot of time up top with Filoni. Understandably, you know, he is not just one of the directors. He is is one of the executive producers of the show, has a lot to say with the story uh, so far. And going forward, we get that. And and Dave is Dave and and he's the man in the cowboy hat for a reason. <laughs> there was this there was this moment that they chose to show going back to your, your point, Joseph. They shot this and they chose to, to show it. And it is <laughs> it is funny, but I've watched it. I'm not kidding. Five times this morning, and I've done a deep dive analysis on it that I don't suggest any of you do. It makes me a little bit of a crazy person. This John Favreau, Dave Filoni, deep cut Empire Strikes Back moment. <laughs> this was odd, Joseph. This and you and I, I think are in the same 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 spot of this. What, what did yeah. you? Think? 
Um, it was a weird dynamic. It was it was definitely a weird, fun, playful dynamic. Uh, I had a tiny bit of uh, repressed in my own self nerd rage um, <laughs> against Favreau in support of uh, Filoni. Uh, I felt like the the sort of comedy of that moment was that uh, Dave Filoni, uh, one, one of the holders of the keys uh, to the lore of Star Wars, uh, was a little nerd shamed on the set of Star Wars. <laughs> and I, I feel like you shouldn't be nerd shamed uh, on the set of Star Wars. It, it seemed like it was in good fun. And I think I would have had a different relationship to it if Floney had been going on about, well, we need to use this, uh, you know, pod racer flag because the symbol on it actually means or like, here's the frequency that Watt Tambor needs to tune to to speak. Like he wasn't going into deep cut. He was going into a fairly well-known extremely successful and emotional shot in empire strikes back the most celebrated of all star wars saga films still i would argue so for that shot and that emotion to be called a deep cut was like uh excuse me let me hike up my nerd pants and push up my contacts because i don't have glasses and get angry yeah, well, especially because Favreau goes on every every panel he hosts around celebration and everything, and it's like, I'm original trilogy. Dave's convinced me to like the prequels. I didn't really like when they came. Like, he's been open about that, which is fine. That's a shared uh, journey and opinion from a lot of Star Wars fans. Uh, I don't think you need to love the prequels to make Star Wars. Uh, but it's, yeah, this is, yeah, you're not even talking about some deep cut bug <laughs> not name. Like, you know, like, it's, it's a classic moment. And, um, like I God, like 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 I again I, I this is I don't suggest anyone does it because clearly they get get along. But I you know this is the only scandalous thing I've ever heard is, is, is like there was a couple <laughs> times that that Favreau had to remind Filoni that he's Favreau and you're Filoni. Like I, that's one thing I had heard, and that's I'm not I don't say that to dig up drama. But so I watched this interplay with that in mind. For Favreau, I get it. He's talking about apocalypse now. He's being a cinephile, and uh, I got no problem with that. Um, and Filoni has a little bit of a, yeah, 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 but, 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 but what about, so I started laughing like, yeah, come on, Dave, you nerd. Then I was, yeah, you, you. and then Favreau looks at the, like the, 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 the woman on, on set with him. I don't, I don't know who it was. I didn't get a good look at it. And he looks at her like, can you believe this nerd? Right. And I just was like, hold on. <laughs> you have like, done yeah. the full uh, Bart Simpson rewinds the tape to the exact moment. Lisa breaks the heart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> kind of has it and 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 look sometimes you and i will take little pokes at dave and and but that's like that's like gilligan and i suddenly felt like skipper like (laughs) no only only i can make fun of my little buddy gilligan all right you leave dave alone because he's making star wars with you and good and he's good at it and it was i i yeah i'm sorry i had i had a just favreau watch empire again all right just watch so Anyways, I felt we had to highlight in some way, shape, or form what that was. It um, was a it was a weird little moment. I think that is uh, is probably one of those demarcation lines of what kind of Star Wars fan are you? <laughs> yeah, and again, yeah, if you don't get no frame by frame Empire Strikes Back, that's fine. It just it was a weird reaction, and I think you're right. I've lived in those moments, and you've been in those moments too, and even recently or film critics or everything. Oh, <laughs> Star Wars, like you you, you know what? You know what? I'm going to go take my Star Wars toys and play by myself again. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I'm big on on wanting to say I don't think there's any such thing as a better Star Wars fan or a more Star Wars fan. If you like one movie, uh, if you just like playing with lightsabers, you're a Star Wars fan. But I do think like there's these differences of perspective that arise when somebody like Filoni. I mean, never mind the fact that he is, you know, actually a creator and has contributed to all this uh, canon somebody who really does love immersing themselves in all of the little details um, versus somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I love this, the big adventure, the spirit of it. And I think that's maybe one of those moments where, you know, Filoni uh, or Favreau is really loving star Wars as, you know, uh, as cinema that has responded to other cinema. And then you got Filoni going there being like, I'm a student of star Wars and it's just a different perspective. And it's like, you see those perspectives clash in this weird moment. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I, I am, I don't suggest anyone follow my path of freeze framing the moment Favreau shames him, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways, um, uh, about the Filoni thing, here's we, uh, we're going to take a break here in a, in a bit here. Um, but they did start with Filoni and, um, um, I, I, I like hearing his stories. You know, he's kind of fun. He, he, he rambles a bit about his story, but it was, I love that they, they, it, it was some insight into George into George Lucas and, and how he hires and how he looks and, and back in the day, uh, overall, the, the, anything you learned or anything you liked about this, uh, focus on Filoni in this section. Yeah, I really loved it. I mean, I've heard versions of, I think, Filoni sharing that story, but this was, this did feel more intimate and it felt like he was, uh, the purpose of that round table was the, you know, we're all at camp and we're getting to know each other. And he was really sharing his, not just the story, but his perspective and his truth. And honestly, um, you know, you and I have seen Filoni at conventions in person or on panels, and we've seen him in situations where he is being you know, applauded and treated as a, a rock star and like that he has the keys to the kingdom and, and, you know, thousands of people in a room waiting to see what t-shirt he's wearing, because that's going to determine the fate of a character we all love. That's one perspective of him. It was really cool to see him as, um, honestly, a, a little bit more of a fan and a nerd. Like I knew that he liked Star Wars, but the way that he discussed with such glee, that idea of I'm building a Jedi costume in my garage, it mm -hmm. really showed this, uh, this other side of Filoni that I kind of know is there, but haven't personally seen as much because I've seen more of the rock star executive producer. I'm in control. I'm making the decisions, Filoni. It was really great to see him as a human and a really likable fellow nerd. Yeah, I really, yeah, good points there, my friend. I really like that. I, 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 like I just said a few minutes ago, I, I mean, sometimes I'm really hard on Dave right now, and it's not so much Dave, it's, it's people's reactions to him, crowning him thy God. And, uh, that's, that does sometimes rub me the wrong way. Just, I'll just say it. It's just, it's not something I enjoy. But, um, it is a good reminder of what he, I, I, I never dispute what he knows, never dispute his talent, never dispute the stuff he does and how it hits with me. And it does really good. Um, it was it was good to go back to the beginning and to see him just kind of yeah, I, I, I've had a couple interactions with I mean, one drunk at Comic-Con, but I mean, I wouldn't call <laughs> it action. I, I basically harassed him just uh, with my joy for the Clone Wars. Uh, I've always found him pretty, pretty humble when when approached. Um, so it was good to see him, though, beyond that, just to see him kind of like 
not just humbled, but just like, uh, I like Star Wars. And, and that was, um, that was good. And I'm, I'm going to do some research. At the, my old roommates or CalArts graduates worked on SpongeBob during that time. And <laughs> I'm going to do some research. See, I know some people do know Dave from back in the day, the Nickelodeon, and be like, were, were you were you guys pranking Filoni a lot? <laughs> <laughs> the next office is... Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff. And 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 everyone, including Favreau, let's be clear, everyone, including Favreau, does have a lot of respect for his knowledge. Uh, the great um, uh, clip of Gina Carano just talking about, like, he'll, he knows, man. He, you know, he, he, that, that shoulder pad isn't right for this reason. And and you can tell that they, they respect that because they know they do need it uh, in doing a Star Wars movie and show. Yeah. The other Filoni moment that I really liked in that that intro, and I'm glad because he is such a big presence in Star Wars, I'm glad that they chose to spend a good chunk of time with him at the beginning of this documentary. Um, I really liked when he was talking about the meeting with George and uh, George saying a lot of his philosophy of who the Jedi are in this interview process and Filoni going, see, I can go back to my friends and say I was right. <laughs> I wasn't making any of this stuff up. I wasn't overreading. That's what he intended. I picked up on what he was laying down. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I say to you, Ken, uh, who uh, you and I spend hours talking about Star Wars, that felt like validation. <laughs> I definitely. And also I enjoyed that they were getting ready to do the Clone Wars before Revenge of the Sith had even come out. And sometimes you just forget the productions take that long to gestate and, and get go pictures and all that kind of stuff. But it was it, I liked hearing that George was already thinking of Star Wars going forward and Sith hadn't even come out yet. And we know he, you know, maybe had a little grumpy relations with the fans during the prequel eras and even now. But um, that, that kind of warmed my heart, too. George yeah, like, absolutely. A lot of warm cockles everywhere. Yeah, cockles indeed. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk about the rest of the series. I think there was a lot of insights to pull from uh, this episode, particularly the other directors that we Star Wars fans just might not be as familiar with. So stick around. The Mandalorian Report will be right back. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, we're back here on The Mandalorian Report. Me, Ken Napsuck, that's Joseph Scrimshaw. And uh, at the table is all the directors, Joseph. All right. <laughs> they are in a little circle. We've talked Favre. We've paid our respects to Filoni. And now it's time to get to know these other names. Some people out there, you're probably really familiar with them. I'm familiar with some of them. Some by name, some of them by titles of the work, some of them by the performances. I think this was my favorite part of the show was getting to know the rest of them. Though. So let's just kind of run through it here. I picked a, a point that each little segment Joseph kind of presented, but we can go wherever we want to go to on what you uh, picked up from the directors too. So don't let uh, me just lead us down one. <laughs> uh, Deborah Chow, uh, who has a, a lot of experience doing a lot of cool shows. They showed Mr. Robot. She's done a lot more. Check out her list of things. And of course we know 
Kenobi is on the horizon as she is in charge of that production right now. I loved what she said, uh, Joseph, about trying to bring life to every scene she shoots, similar to some of the stuff you were talking about that you loved about Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, she does it even at the risk, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but she does this even at the risk of the plan. And she, as you mentioned, very planned out person. She seems to be very organized, very efficient. So what do you think overall about this idea of just, hey, I, I want life shining through these scenes. I want the performers, I want the editing process, everything. We can change it if there's life. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, in creative processes, I think people can get hung up on, especially if they're a planner like Deborah Chow, of what what did we already decide? Or you're even getting ego involved of like, well, I already worked out that blocking. But like she specifically mentioned, like, as a planner, uh, I come up with all the blocking. But if something sparks life, you know, it's great. It's a, to to be just brutal to a tree metaphor. You know, being an oak that can also bend in the wind <laughs> means just great creative results and i think you see that that there are mm -hmm. lots of moments in her episodes that are that clearly take planning to execute well and quickly like some of the great action scenes but mm -hmm. i think some of the just kind of uh, fun uh, interactions emotional beats are in some of her episodes as i ran through it like some of my favorite just like line readings or little moments are in in deborah chow episodes yeah do you have any any shots or scenes that jump out to you from episode three and episode seven yeah, action-wise, Mando Mando takes the child uh, at the end, of, toward the end of you know chapter three. Um, in the, obviously, there's the big man, actual Mando's going going crazy uh, in the sin, but when he's taking out all the stormtroopers, <laughs> she's got the glee in that. I love that as an action scene. Um, but I I believe it is episode three uh, when the yeah because episode two is a child. Episode three, Mando returns uh, to meet with grief. Uh, and he's got the, they all hate you, Mando delivery that I just love that. And yeah. that is an example of that sparks life. Um, oh, episode, nice. uh, seven is a lot of the greatest killer, um, the client stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The incredibly strange delivery of, of going on about the state of the galaxy and what everything means. And then just transitioning immediately to the, I want to see the baby there. Those are the kind of moments of like. That's not necessarily the traditional way someone would think to deliver that line or to segue from one thought to the other. But those resonate when I think of, you know, surprising decisions that spark life. Well said. And I love there was a couple shots of her directing Herzog. And I just was like, well, that's awesome. That's just awesome to see, see her on set with him. And he's so legendary for so many different reasons. And he just added he added to his legend with Star Wars. <laughs> he yes. just introduced himself to a new generation of fans no doubt but for for people who are familiar with his work or you know it just was like everything we wanted and more uh the shared narrative line i mean all that stuff and all that comes from that episode and i loved you mentioned carl weathers hey i love carl weathers too uh just serious stuff from back in the in the day the rocky stuff Predator stuff but then the the you know rest of development stuff he just i i love him i just i'm so glad he's gonna be involved in season two as a director as well as performer but i love when he's hurt that on that march in season seven when the minox attack and and he's hurt and there's there's i don't again i don't know what was 100 percent planned and it is i'm not saying this was improv or anything like that but just to go to, to her point in in when, when the child goes to 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 heal him just his reactions it it is as more life 
to the scene than just, oh, here he is. It's a magic heel moment. Just the way Carl Weathers cho- chose to react as grief and, 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 and play those lines and play the humor in that moment. It really worked for me. And it, and it made me think, all right, yeah, she, she's got that kind of style. And I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff all around. Temperate channel. We'll see, you know, Kenobi still looking forward to it. I'm not even worried about yet, uh, you know, about the, the behind the scenes changes and everything. Don't worry about that. She's in charge and I have a lot of faith. Uh, next up was uh, Rick Famuyiwa, uh, and he, uh, first of all, he is clearly a fan of L.A., not just the Dodgers. <laughs> Love them. I uh, could respect that. Uh, and uh, he had this thing you mentioned earlier, and this was, this was absolutely my favorite part of his thing. And I love that they focused a lot about him uh, seeing New Hope in theaters and being influenced by it, but not directly. You know, he hasn't done space movies before he's done a lot of different things that have nothing to do with lightsabers and spaceships and, and childs and, and, uh, and, um, uh, beasts. Uh, but I love the influence to see star Wars. It goes other places, but he said this, that he likes making stories about misfits and he described people. The camera doesn't normally point at. And then he went into with great glee about the Jawas and that hit for me, Joseph, because yeah, we've seen a lot of Jawas in New Hope. We see a lot of them. They're 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 treated a little bit as uh, minor bad guys in that moment, right? We love R2. We don't like what they're doing and, and we don't trust them. This this was, I, I loved seeing these off-world Jawas, as they're called, in a different light. We truly hadn't seen that before and that really, really worked for me. And I think it worked for you as well, right? Yeah, yeah, because when you break it down, it got into their perspective and their culture a little bit. They're, they're still antagonists up to a point to the Mandalorian, and, and certainly uh, there's some violence exchanged between the two. Uh, but yeah, when you see them in A New Hope, they are attacking R2, and then they're you know being terrible used droid salespeople to mm-hmm. Owen and Luke. But this is getting inside their their culture, inside their sand crawler, you know, and and uh, seeing what they care about. And it is Suka. Suka. <laughs> seeing their lounge in the top. Yeah, but and, and that's one of my favorite ones I've talked about often. The Suka, that la- that last one, the really delayed one. And it shows them with humor and wants and desires, not just scavengers, uh, you know, which again is part of their survival. Um, whether or not it was nice of them to take apart his ship, that's to be debated. But um, yeah, so that really worked and that made a lot of sense. And it made me think we are in this new era of Star Wars storytelling. We just did uh, a great discussion that you led on, on the main show this week, Joseph, about standalone films. And what does that truly mean? Especially going forward. That question a lot. Going forward in Star Wars. We, we are outside the, Star, uh, the Skywalker saga for the most part. Um, I think this trait of showing uh, the misfits of the galaxy and, and the people and the characters the camera doesn't normally point at could be tremendously valuable in Star Wars going forward, Joseph. Uh, any any thoughts on that uh, about what he said there? Yeah, it was funny because when you sent these great notes, uh, I was thinking through what it meant to me. And then I rewatched this episode this morning and realized, oh, they used some of the images I was thinking of. But when I think about misfit in Star Wars and why it's important, it goes back to it's that it starts with Luke and it goes back to that staring at the twin sunsets, feeling like you're no one, but thinking that maybe you could be someone like Luke is, we forget because we get caught up in the chosen one and super powerful and oh the skywalkers control everything we forget that a new hope starts with 
a farm boy who wants to be a part of something, but critically at the very beginning says things like, it's all so far away from here. And I think it buried in Star Wars, starting from that, is the sense of we are all important, we all do belong. And I think to answer your question more directly going forward, I think it means taking that spirit of relatability of what does that mean? Does it mean creatures? Does it mean bringing in, you know, different life perspectives from our real world that the camera hasn't been pointed at as much, but getting to the heart of that super relatable feeling of nobody thinks I'm important and I want to be involved and everything in the world is telling me not to be, but here's my journey is that I do get involved. And I Mm. think any storytelling that has that, that core misfit underdog who finds their place, who finds their right to power is going to really resonate as star Wars. Ah, well said, well said, my friend, which is why it jumped out to me. And you know, I, he, Femi, you as one of the ones that I was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, give him a star Wars, give him a full on show or movie, something going forward. I love episode two. I, I still think it might be my favorite one, just the way it hit me now six, which is your favorite. I I've, I definitely like more. I watched it on repeat. I I, I got ha- hung up a little bit on just how it looked. Again, I, I don't know what is. I don't know what my problem is. I <laughs> held up on that. That's me. It's not him. But yeah, the story itself is. And they touched upon how episode six really did need to show Mando not wanting to to just do anything with his whole crew. He wanted to move forward, which is this big key theme in the show. So it's a it's a very powerful, important episode. So yeah, give me more. Give me more Rick and Star Wars. Hundred percent agreed. Next up was the rookie. I mean, definitely not the rookie in the biz. Bryce Dallas Howard, not only as an actor, but that story, Joseph. That they, they, they didn't get the whole start of, but her as a five-year-old traveling with her father, the the great uh, Ron Howard, having lunch <laughs> with Tasawa and George Lucas. Get out! <laughs> get out of here! With that. Right? You could tell everyone at the table was like, "And you fell asleep? I was five. <laughs> yeah they're all yeah rick famiumi is like my dad took me to see it and dave Filoni's like i'm making a jedi costume in my garage and she's like i remember my father's heartbeat as two of the greatest storytellers of all time you know <laughs> great stuff so she is got the pedigree and this is one of the you know exciting things and i got i i did just recently complete a rewatch of mandalorian and i think grace and i are going to do it again one of the benefits is it's, it's the episodes are short enough to where uh, the rewatch doesn't feel daunting right now for me. And that's, that's actually, that's a key thing in these busy times. Um, her episode, I have way more appreciation for now after a second rewatch. Now that I didn't like it at, at first, it just was like, all right, the show's gone a certain direction. Now we're going this way. Uh, villain of the week, movie of the week, mission of the week, side quests, all those things used to describe it. I really like this episode a lot more now. And now I think even more Joseph when Favreau jokingly, but not wrong says, hey, you're the rookie, and we gave you the toughest episode, the toughest job, because we knew you wouldn't question how hard it was. That's quite a statement on fear, our perception of things we can't do. And when you don't know how difficult it is, you might succeed easier because you don't have just those things, those hangups in front of you. And on that, I was like, she succeeded even more, even more than I thought initially. So shame on me. Congratulations to her. Great stuff. Uh, any any thoughts on on just her being the rookie, getting the hardest episode? Yeah, I really like that uh, that bit of the story, and I would have taken even more on that because I feel like what was 
different for people when they were watching that episode is it we had been like oh great that's what this story is about oh my god star wars fantasies come true look at all those mandos uh all that stuff and then we go to this different place in this different world and we're we're concerned about meeting cara dune and what's all that going to be but when you look back at it it feels like that's the emotional core of the show the fact that mando didn't have a normal childhood and can't or don't doesn't want to have that emotional vulnerability so when you look back on it it is not an episode of the week even remotely it's the emotional core of the show and then that makes it really interesting to see all right did did favreau and whoever else made the decisions look at this and go bryce dallas howard can talk to actors and mm-hmm. we need somebody who knows actors to do this one but it's also the technically the most difficult because it has all these other elements that the others don't in terms of location and giant atsd and all that stuff and that's really cool if they if that is indeed you know what i'm if i'm what i'm inferring is correct that she is best equipped to handle this emotional core episode so we'll throw her into the deep end and and it'll be a good learning experience for her to figure out the challenging technical end of it yeah and and as someone who's you know she's um, clearly moved by Jurassic Park. I love seeing her kind of get emotional describing the power of storytelling. I want more people like that in my Star Wars and any anything I watch uh, who are moved by that kind of stuff and can share those emotions. But she's been through that. She's uh, a lot of talk, talk here about the experience of Taika directing Thor. She's been in Jurassic World, you know, and I thought that worked because one of my favorite sequences is turning the ATSD into a monster, turning it into a dinosaur. Yeah, and she succeeded tenfold with that yeah i the thing that i shouted out i didn't do a lot of shouting out uh, during this episode i try to contain <laughs> myself but sometimes when i'm watching things yes. with my wife i i shout things out and i shouted out she's responsible for the best gif of all time like that she did the yes. the the child sips the bone broth like that's she did that that's hers that's hers uh, yeah, so I think more than anything uh, of all the directors, I was moved by her uh, story and her relationship to it and really rooting for her. I just like that Howard family. I don't know. Again, I always joke it was that episode of uh, uh, Arrested Development, one of the later seasons with the Howard family barbecue, and I know it's not <laughs> real, but I, just, I love it. And I, I really like Ron, and I like Clint. I like them all. Uh, so, uh, again, give her a Star Wars as well. More, more, more. Then we move on to uh, The Ringer, as described by Jon Favreau, and which makes sense based on uh, bigger, big-budget movie experience. But he definitely didn't start there, and that's Taika Waititi. And he's so popular and so loved for good reason. You can just see it, and you can see the way to describe it. And you're right. They're choosing what to show. There's a lot of people describing him as serious and intense. He just has a sense of humor about it there. So nothing, you know, uh, we've seen these kind of clips. He's always a very funny cat. And I, I've... Uh, his work with Jermaine Clement, not just what we do in the shadows, but fly to the Concords, a lot of the other stuff I really do like. Um, so this was this was my ended up being my favorite section because based on the conversation we've had, I still have this like, all right, he's he's doing Star Wars. He is really funny. He has this distinct style. Can it mesh? And then I look at episode eight of Mandalorian and I go, yep, that's a good example of where it would work. Now, Joseph, this if this was a commercial as you described, I'm buying. <laughs> I'm buying this product. I really am. Uh, I want to dive in. Overall, your thoughts on what they showed about Taika here? Yeah, it was it was great. It's it's great to see that he. I think this was one of the places in the interviews because he, he chooses to be so playful in interviews, and I, and I really say chooses uh, as a choice. I chose to say choose. Um, 
that this was one of those places where you could see both the depth of thought. It was great to hear a little bit more from his own uh, lips about his background. So you could see that uh, dedication and that passion, but also see that he's someone who just chooses to have a sense of humor and a sense of uh, fun and joy, but mm. nothing f- ever feels like winking at the camera to say, this is all dumb and we all know it's dumb. It's also uh, honest in coming from a sense of play and a sense of fun. Yeah. yeah I don't want to go that na- I've, I've heard that about two other creators and maybe a, a famous Korean smuggler that that was kind of some of the approach and it didn't work. Um, and that's why I'm really looking forward to Taiki here. And you talked about Favreau, said this i i uh I'm, re- I'm reading my notes and i realized i made some typos and i apologize joseph um <laughs> he described uh uh taika he said taika knows how to find the humor in the action and they showed a lot of the that the action sequence in episode eight he says knows how to find the humor in the action but that's a lot different from making fun of it we don't make fun of the action and thinking back to episode eight and they showed the clip of the joke of of in the middle of this heated heated final moment uh, grief Karga turning to the the child and say, "Do do you wave your magic hands, baby?" One of the best moments in the show, <laughs> and it's so from character, it's so from his experience. Again, talking about what Deborah Chow and them built up in episode seven, and what uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and everyone else built up with the child uh, in episode four. Because I think by episode four, that's when the child to me really starts really starts getting personality. Not to take any anything away from three, but he's captured is different. So uh, it all comes together for that moment, and yeah, it's not making fun of it. It all works because it all seems real to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's some like very serious stuff that's like, no, we're, we're not having any, uh, you know, not, not we're taking this very, very seriously. And then other places where it feels uh, like appropriate, like mm-hmm. the, the, in the spirit of that action adventure, we are people in trouble. We're on the run. We're desperate uh, in comedy coming from that. And even yeah. for me, the the two uh, troopers at the beginning right. that there's a couple moments for me in my taste in comedy that gets a little too real world. But mm-hmm. even within that, that's just like my own personal take. Even within that, I feel like the comedy is coming from the truth of these characters. We are learning that they are jerks and losers. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it's still grounded. Even if some, even if for me, like one or two of the jokes is like, eh, yeah, been there, done that with the stormtroopers are bad shots, but who yep. cares? Because it's coming uh, from a truthful place. And that's what I care about, that we don't wink and nod, that we don't go, yeah, stormtroopers are dumb. This whole thing is dumb. Like the magic, as Bryce Dallas Howard said, the magic act, the magic act of Star Wars starts to fall apart if you make yeah. fun of Star Wars. Yeah, and that that opening trooper sequence has a style of humor I like, but I I, I do stand by kind of what you're saying and what we said back when the episode came out. It's like a beat too far. I, I Maybe if you want to break it down, but that is... That's weird because, I, again, I focused on that more than the rest of the episode on the rewatch. And that, that grief cargo moment is more of a great example of something I'm really looking forward to him bringing to Star Wars. And he said this, and I saw some other people, particularly in our Discord server, talking about this and where they have great, wonderful conversations. Appreciate uh, all of our fans who listen and then join the Discord through the Patreon. Uh, good conversations had there. Uh, this quote by Taika, he said, Star Wars doesn't take itself 100% seriously but it does believe in itself. I, that's where I was like sold, sold. Cause I think that goes to a lot of what you and I believe, Joseph, a lot of what, things we discussed in general, but also where I seen some of the um, pushback against star Wars. I'm particularly looking at last Jedi. We're going into it. Even I was the type of person's like, Ooh, are we getting dark and gritty star Wars? And at one point Ryan was like, um, 
I tried to, I tried to make it fun and funny and no <laughs> one listened and no one listened. I think this is a thesis statement that I can get behind for Star Wars. Absolutely. This, uh, this felt like obviously just something that is honest and true to the way uh, Taika Waititi approaches it himself, but it did also feel like fully turning to look directly in the camera and saying, <laughs> it's okay. My movie is going to be great um, to me uh, because I so agree with that perspective there's the there's the first half of it which we've already talked about of the when star wars has something serious to say you have to take it seriously you can you can han can have a super funny line but you know you, you don't want a, a wacky joke when vader's trying to decide whether or not to save luke you know you have to take that part of it that part of the mythology seriously but the other half of this that uh the the quote that Star Wars doesn't take itself 100% seriously. That, I think, is the thing that gets lost a lot. And you and I try to talk about it on Star Wars, something that clear, or on Force Center that clearly comes from Lucas of mm. there's a spirit of play and absurdity. The aliens are absurd. That's why Elon Slezbegano doesn't destroy anything. That's a part of the spirit of Star Wars, you know? Um, Back in the day when when uh, I was mad at Ben Quadneros because you shouldn't have an alien with too goofy of a face, like no, that's that's a part of Star Wars. A part of it is meant to be the that's what's fun about science fiction and fantasy and pulp and action adventure of these just weird, bizarre things, and those should be celebrated as much as the absolute depth of the storytelling about fear leading to hate and on and on, you know. Well, look, even look at New Hope. Go back to 77 or whenever you first saw New Hope and there was no other Star Wars. You have the great opening shot. You have the Star Destroyer and oh my God, and there's death and there's this villain. When it really picks up, it's these two best friend droids insulting each other. <laughs> that to me is more of a Taika Waititi conversation than anything else other than, you know, in, in the original trilogy. I mean, that's I could see him putting out something like that. R2's dropping, you know, swear words that are bleeped out. and And like that's... That's just as much as part of it as Mean Man walks through the hallway with Cape. Yeah, it goes immediately from badass samurai to Laurel and Hardy in space. And, yeah. And, and both of those components are important. And I think what makes it, it's what one of the things that makes Star Wars feel very human uh, mm. is the the sense of fun and, and bizarreness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so well done. If that was a well-crafted commercial, it worked <laughs> for me. I'm buying the floor wax and the dessert topping after uh, listening to Taika uh, YTD. And I love, I love uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Esposito saying, you know, he's serious. He's, uh, I didn't write down the exact quote, but he's like serious. But he also, again, a sense of humor to it. And he gets what he wants. He's intense. Um, but he doesn't transfer that intensity to anyone else. He wants to get the best out of them and have fun doing it. And it's great. So... Good stuff. Every one of these directors I thought brought a lot. And, you know, Floney talks often about learning and, and on the job. He ended it talking about Star Wars school and he seemed to get really, they cut it in a way that it seems like he was getting really emotional over that. But it works. It works. Um, final question I have for you, uh, Joseph. Then we'll get some maybe final wrap up thoughts. Uh, what was in the white styrofoam cup below Taika Waititi's seat? <laughs> um, I, what's that? Was it a fruit cup from a deli? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to guess that it is an homage to the coffee cup and water bottle from the final season of Game of Thrones <laughs> that he was he's being cheeky and he wanted people to wonder, was that supposed to be edited out? I just love it. Yeah, I get the water bottles. They're there probably a long day of shooting. And then he, I was like, what is in that styrofoam cup? 
Probably something silly, but sincere. Um, before we get out of here, Joseph, uh, final thoughts on this first episode, Disney gallery, Colin, the Mandalorian, the directors. Yeah, I think there was the, uh, we, we've had a lot of directors confirmed for season two, but there was that part of me of just like, Ooh, I want to see, even if these specific directors aren't back for Mandalorian season two, not all of them that I really want to see their other work. I really want to see them do more work in star Wars as, as many of them, uh, are, uh, so that's great. And then just for the Disney gallery show, it just made me really, really look forward to seeing footage and hopefully interviews uh, from Werner Herzog talking about the puppet. Oh, God, I didn't even really think about that. Oh, I hope we get an hour on him. Just him. <laughs> just him. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that was our first look at this episode. More to come. I'm, I'm really happy with this series uh, is, is here. I love the behind the scenes stuff, as I said. And I think a lot of you out there feel the same way because we're Star Wars fans. So more on the way. Uh, as always, this uh, episode's uh, brought to you by Audible. Want to try a free audiobook on us? Go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center. If you want to join the conversation uh, or uh, just uh, celebrate Mandalorian all over again, you can follow us on Twitter at force center pod. We are on Instagram as well. And don't forget, we, we, we highlight it every week, but let's really highlight it. We are on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube and we have new shows every other week with Star Wars show and tell. And the in-memoriams are going right now. More things on the way. Going to maybe start putting some breakouts of uh, our main discussions in audio form on YouTube. We're there. Subscribe. Like, subscribe. Hey, guys. All those things. We are there. A lot of times the, hey, you should do more on YouTube. And uh, if you want that, go there uh, and help us get those views. Break that algorithm. It's an impossible task, but we're up to it. So that is uh, there. And uh, just so they can follow us on Patreon as well. That's right, patreon.com slash force center. Uh, people have been incredibly uh, generous, and it's a great uh, it's a great uh, to have that community that's on Discord you mentioned, and it's a, just a great place uh, for us to be able to uh, get some perspectives from fans, throw out questions, all that kind of stuff. So go check it out if you're interested. And check out our uh, merch section on TeePublic, tpublic.com slash user slash force center. You can follow me at Ken Napsock and Joseph, josephscrimshaw.com. Still the one shop stop. One stop shop, one stop shop for all things you. That's right. You can get uh, more than you would ever want from me on josephscrimshaw.com. And uh, my Twitter and Instagram is at josephscrimshaw. That is it for now. We'll see you next week. Wave your little magic hand. We'll see you soon here on The Mandalorian Report. <laughs>